Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Madonna, I know you listen to every episode of this podcast, <laughs> and you heard it from Trixie Mattel. She wants a Like a Virgin Barbie. No, you know, if she does it, she's going to push through like a ray of light Barbie, and we're going to get blue jeans and like a, 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 like a uh, cotton shirt. Kabbalah Barbie. I want that. She's she and I'm me. Not me. Not Hermione. Yo, yo, yo. Childhood trauma. I am a cocksucker. Woo! Your life's going down the toilet. Music, subsurrect! <laughs> Welcome to Like a Virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I am Rose Domu. And I am Fran Torado. Virgins, you know, you will have heard our dispatch from Fire Island in our episode last week. Also, if you're a patron, patreon.com slash like a virgin, you will have heard our annual Fire Island episode. Um, but our vacation is over. It's back to real life. I had a great time. Um, I think you did as well, Fran. Oh, for sure. I mean, I still feel like my body is like catching up with all the things that I put it through. <laughs> During that week, like, honestly, vacation can be, like, I'm not going to say exhausting, but, like, it's definitely, like, your body is operating at a different level, taking in a, a different number of drugs. Yeah, I... <laughs> and I, in I, the sun all day. Yeah, that was really the thing that got me. The day The day we got back, I needed just a, a reset day, and I did, like, an intense body cleanse skincare routine hair washing and like afterwards laying on my couch i just felt fried like both both physically because i got a lot of sun and mentally like even though literally all we were doing was laying around and relaxing i needed a day to sort of get back to life i needed to bring me to life as um amy lee said um on the evanescence debut album and then the next day was my birthday yes that's right virgins i am now 35 years old 
Yes, and you celebrated by going to the place that Carrie Bradshaw went to on her exact 35th birthday, which was a very mediocre Italian restaurant. <laughs> it was really it was actually bad. Like I my was my bad. On, my was entree mediocre. was bad. My entree oh. was bad because I didn't realize I thought that I was ordering a pasta that had spinach in it, oh. and instead what I ordered was a pasta that substituted spinach for noodles. No. It was fine. I, it was not about the food. It was about the vibes. and It, it was, was a not vi- about the food. Let me tell <laughs> No. But it was a very lovely birthday dinner. And yes. actually, this was one of the best birthdays I've had in years. I think mostly... Mostly because I approached it very much as just another day. I I worked during the day. I went to the gym. I did very ordinary things. I went to a bookstore and ran into a lovely virgin who gave me a great discount and picked up a bunch of new books. And then I had a wonderful meal with my nearest and dearest uh, wearing, I have to say, a pretty sickening outfit. Um, it was a great day. We love that. Your outfit was incredible. Yeah, it was cordial and it was simple. And that's exactly what you need out of a birthday gathering. I feel like, um, you know, yeah, the food, the food you we said was like kind of, um, it was Olive Garden territory. The desserts, I thought, were phenomenal. The desserts were great. I'm, I love a tartufo. I hadn't had one oh, in forever. It was so, so good. good. And I think everyone else, I think I don't think anyone else had had tartufo at that table. Yeah. So it did gag them a bit. For anyone who wants to know, we went to Il Cantonore, which is, if you remember the season four episode of Sex in the City, The Agony and the Ecstasy, it's the restaurant where Carrie goes for her birthday dinner and none of her friends show up. And she has to pay for her own birthday cake. The woman with the birthday cake is here and she needs to be paid. Um, And my friends did show up and it was lovely. We had a great time. And I also had sex that night when I got home and it was fabulous. So it was was really a perfect birthday. Was it, was it with, well, was it with recurring? recurring That's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say. The rest is for the Patreon divas. Um, No, the rest is for not people who listen to this podcast. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. But Um, you know what we will talk about is the fact that... My sex life? Oh. No, it's the fact that Taylor Swift released Speak Now, Taylor's version. Right. I am a little over the Taylor's versions, I have to say. Yeah, and... and, Yeah. I really felt... The fatigue with this one, because I think, I mean, A, I didn't listen to it for basically a whole week because we were not featuring it on Fire Island. No. Not the vibe. We tried and then switched to just contemporary Taylor. And Taylor's hit. It just, I think we've lost the plot in a way, which is that the, the actual point of these albums is to literally re record the existing music in such a way that it replaces the old scooters versions um and yes we get the new tracks and everything and you know some of the ones on this album are good but it just sounds so much like the original that i'm like what is the point and the bonus tracks which like Haley williams and fall up white are amazing features to have on the bonus tracks Sorry, didn't really do it for me. I I think the only song that I will return to is I See You, which was on the original. 
Um, or no, is that a bonus track? The but that's the bonus track. Yeah, I that lo- that she made the music video, the stupidest music video ever for. I loved that bonus track. I thought it was. It's great. a good song. Yeah. Um. But no, I I don't know. Uh. I Godspeed to everyone going to the Eras tour. Peyton just went. Like, seems like she actually. I feel like everyone we know was like at the Denver show. Um. For Eras. Uh, Rose is still looking for tickets, though. No, I'm... You're like, I'm not anymore. I'm not. I'm seeing Beyonce next week. I'm good, love. Enjoy. (laughs) I only have one big summer concert in me, and that is the one. I have been listening to Speak Now Taylor's version, but I could just as easily listen to Scooter's version and, like, be fine. I mean, I, yeah, I have, I feel like I'm all listened out. Like, um, I have so much music. It's just this shtick is getting old. Yeah. And I don't want to listen to Reputation Taylor's version. Like that's going to be bizarre. No, no, no. What if she did it it all acoustic? Like, how is she going to do it? That would be fab. That would be fab. If like raps, like, yeah. No, an acoustic version of, of Reputation would be fabulous because it would be different instead of just being a copy paste of the music i have a question ye as a as someone who's a little more of a taylor scholar than i am um i feel like she said maybe in her documentary that reputation was kind of like an era that she regrets a little bit is that has she said something like that before i feel like she's talked about how it was like a really dark time and how she felt like reputation was in reaction to a retaliation against something instead of like actual art I mean, it, it was a reaction to mm-hmm. the way she was talked about post, you know, like being quote unquote exposed by Kim Kardashian and like the Kanye oh, West of it all. Right. I don't know if she's ever said anything about regretting it. I certainly don't regret it. Reputation is one of my favorite Taylor albums. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's not, it's at the bottom of my list. So, um, but I, I, you know, whatever Taylor's version is going to look like, I'm here for it. Speaking of Taylor and tunes, a lot of Taylor's music was featured in the trailer for the second season of The Summer I Turned Pretty. Mm. Um, actually, Ryan, when the trailer dropped, thought it was a short film that she had made because he had no context <laughs> for the show. Um, the That's first funny. three episodes dropped on Amazon on Friday, and I watched them all this weekend. And, you know, I famously don't love YA because I don't believe teenagers are real people. But this is very compelling YA soap opera, and there is a lot of Taylor Swift music featured in it. So if you're looking for a very, like, no-thoughts-head-empty summer show to watch, that is a perfect one. I'm not going to watch it, but it, it does sound... Is it kind of... I was of talking the, to the virgins, not the, to you. I know. I was just saying for the record. Um, Is it like a kind of... um To All the Boys I've Loved Before coded? It's Yeah. Well, it's written... The the book that it's based on was written by Jenny Han, who Got wrote it. To All the Boys. It. It's um love triangle, a girly who is in uh, le- like caught between two brothers. Um, brothers? There's all, yes. There's also... They're dealing with grief because the brother's mom died. It's yeah, it's it's very good. Okay. Okay. Um, you know what I finished this weekend, which I don't think you finished, was the other two. Did you did you finish that? No, I watched two and a half seasons of it in the span of like a week and then got about midway through season three and was like, 
no, I don't want to watch this anymore. It's bad. The I will agree that a lot of the latter half of season three is, as you put it, ass. And I felt it is and ass. I felt like the finale especially was a whole lot of assery. Like I So how I'm does not, it end? I'm not I, I skim skip through a lot of it. Um the show, especially in its finale, decided to completely sh- change genres and become a drama, a like thoughtful, emotional, like personal journey drama about the moralistic arc of these two characters and how they can reconcile their misery and become like i don't know like people again and they get their the redemptions are the redemption arcs are really lovely like they work fine but the 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 way it's shot is totally completely different and i feel like the showrunner was maybe trying to do something that was like profound and brilliant but the way that the main gay guy was portrayed and all of the internal struggle that he went through about, which was like obsessing over fame, like getting overly involved with like the industry and like, and like, um, you know, excommunicating all of his friends and loved loved ones as a product of that. It feels like something that the showrunner actually went through. And, and if it felt so transparently something that the writer needed to just get off of his chest to a degree that felt like bros coded. Like it was like that scene in bros where Billy Eichner has that long monologue to the, to the, his like kind of boo on the beach talking about like Mm -hmm. how people don't understand him. And I was like, that's like lovely, but also like, this is, we know this is you. That's such a, that's not the ending I would expect, have expected the show to have. I actually feel like it would be much truer to the show and the characters to, not redeem them and to instead maybe give them some kind of comeuppance yeah um, for being horrible people yeah yeah Yeah. i mean they definitely got punished for their actions which is nice um but no i don't know the show is so like if virgins ever wanted to watch it the first two seasons are amazing some of the second season is not great and there are some episodes of the third season that are so genius so laugh out loud funny so much insider baseball like stuff that is like relevant to like queer people, especially like gay people that exist in media and consume gay media. Oh, so fucking funny. And well, you loved, you loved that AIDS play episode, which I did not, I did not think was that. There was a spoof of the inheritance that was fucking hilarious. I thought featuring Lucas Gage. I also thought the Simu Liu um, bit was so funny. Well, I did like that Simu Liu talked about eating Molly Shannon's pussy a lot, but other than that, um, I'm never going to watch the rest of the other two um, because I'm too busy reading gay monster porn. Okay, say more, please. <laughs> so I have been. Is this on, Rose's book corner? <laughs> this is Rose's book corner, which actually, um, if you want to hear, <laughs> if you want to hear um, me talk at length about books you can go uh on patreon patreon.com slash like a virgin and that is the official home of rose's book corner but i have been reading a lot recently i read four books while we were on vacation i'm on fire right now and um i've been reading a lot of lit fic so i needed a um mindless you know palette cleanser and as as virgins will know, I love a codpiece ripper, which is our terminology for 
gay historical romance. What I never have ventured into is gay a furry penis ripper. is gay monster fucking books. T- t- tentacle ripper. <laughs> tentacle ripper. Mm, maybe like um egg sack ripper. Not egg sack. <laughs> <laughs> um I have yet to encounter an uh, a sexy egg sack in these books, but hmm. it could happen. Yeah. So, based off of a TikTok recommendation, I downloaded onto my Kindle a book called Soul Eater by an author named Lily Maine. Cool. And it is set in a post-apocalyptic America that is overrun by monsters. And the main character is a soldier at a military base who studies monsters. And they bring in, like, this scary monster named Wynn the Soul Eater, who is, like... He's, like, super tall, has, like, gray skin, and has a hood, so you can't see his face, but there's horns sticking out of it. And the monster, like, takes a liking to him, and they end up escaping the facility, and they start fucking and fall in love. And he, not to make it all about his genitals, but... But it's about his genitals. Let's talk about his genitals. So he has a slit where a penis would be. Oh. Um... And then when he gets aroused, a penis comes out of the <gasps> Just like in Shape of Water. And when and they're they're flip fucking. So when the uh, when the soldier wants to fuck him, he fucks the slit like under the penis. So that basically like the penises are like together in the uh, hole. And that sounds great. It honestly is like really hot and fun and actually yeah. like a good story, like, with well-drawn characters. I support you. I support and this. I started reading this, the first book, last, yesterday evening around, like, 5 p.m. and finished it this morning. And then immediately started the second one. And there's, I believe, seven in the series. Oh, so God. this is my new journey, is reading what gay monster fucking porn. Por- it is porn called eater. Soul Eater. Soul Sucker. Um, so there is definitely a lot of sucking going okay. on. Into it, slash you should write one of those. Slash you should adapt it I'm, into a TV I'm show. thinking about it. I'm <laughs> thinking I need to maybe start writing some porn. I actually am feeling very creatively revved up right now Ooh. from everything I've been reading. Um, I read, a, as I said, I read a bunch of books on vacation. And maybe like I'll go more in-depth um into them on the Patreon at some point, but just to like quickly talk about them. My favorite book that I read while we were on vacation is Vladimir by Julia May Jonas, which is about um, a professor at um, a liberal arts college in upstate New York, whose husband has been accused by several women of sexual misconduct. And as that's happening, a young professor comes to the school and she becomes totally obsessed with him. It's a really sharp and incredibly written takedown of like me too culture and wokeness and academia and it's like one of my favorite things that i've read in such a long time the the voice is just so perfect um i also read we could be so good by cat sebastian which is a cod piece ripper about two newspaper reporters in 1950s new york city who fall in love i thought it was very sweet and i really liked their love story Um, and then I read The Guest by Emma Klein, which is sort of the, like, hot girl book of the summer. It's got a very, like, saturated cover. We know what the cover looks like. We know. And it's about a sex worker who 
is um, dating this man um, and staying with him in his beach house and like probably the Hamptons and he kicks her out. And so she has to spend a couple days just sort of going around trying to like glom onto any man she can find. And it's, it's a really great character study. She makes like bad decision after bad decision. And it's like, you're just like reading it, screaming at her and it's really well done up until the ending, which was one of the most disappointing endings of a book I've read in a very long time. It really needed like another chapter or an epilogue or something. It was just so disappointing. It was like, it just like crashed off a cliff. Um, And then the fourth book I read was like a codpiece ripper that is not worth talking about. It was aggressively fine, but um, I am going to Florida this week to visit my family. So I'm sure I'll be doing a lot of reading while I'm there and, um, you know, stay tuned if you want more recommendations. Well, we have a very exciting episode today. Um, this is a long time coming both in terms of the fact that this movie has been promoted forever. Barbie, the doll has existed for a very long time and we recorded this episode months ago, but we have Trixie Mattel on the podcast today talking all things Barbie. Yes, and we have to say, just because we are who we are, um, we are in support with the strike. Okay, SAG, hello, is striking. This is huge. All of the videos we're seeing of Fran Drescher are amazing, even though she's kind of an anti-vaxxer. But she's amazing. And um, this is not promotion for the movie Barbie. This is a historicization of Barbie as an idol and icon. Okay. Yes, and we will probably behind the scenes be figuring out how we are going to approach talking about new media um, in the wake of SAG and the WGA both being on strike. So this is evolving. We're still figuring it out, but no scabs on this podcast. No scabs. No, thank you. Um, This is a a Trixie is a long time coming as a guest. Um, Iconic, iconic. So let's let's do it. This episode is about and for the dolls. Uh, That's right. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentleys all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. pre-Barbie movie, pre-social media, pre-like, I don't know, Jeremy Scott's Barbie collection, pre-all that stuff. I just, I wanted to, I wanted my zippers to be this big compared to my body. You know what I mean? Mm. I, even proportionally, I wanted to be a tiny plastic thing. And I think it was like, a, maybe mentally, it was like an, an escape route from the human experience. It's like, what if I also just had no thoughts? You know, I'm like, what if I also had no <laughs> What if my head was squishy too? Yeah, it was squish my head. What if my knees, you know, snapped? And then when I started, like, I guess I got the cart before the horse. And, like, in my later 20s, I started being like, well, I take all this inspiration from America's favorite fashion doll. But what do I really know about it? And then for, like, a good year, I pretty much read every nonfiction book about Mattel and Barbie that is in existence. Everything from the biography and autobiography of Ruth Handler to studies about child development to the history of Barbie and I'm probably mentally ill. And so when I get focused on something, I really like re hit record and learn everything about it very quickly. And so now I just like, I mean, I, I really know everything about Barbie. I think I know everything there is to know. So what do you want to know? That's why we brought you on well, now here. Now we're going to test your knowledge. <laughs> um, no, we're not here to, to get you. But I, I am really interested um, to get maybe like, why do you think Barbie was so groundbreaking as a toy and why has she endured the way she has well there's a few reasons right number one first of its kind right until barbie came along in 1959 little girls were encouraged to pretend to be moms that's it all dolls were babies so that's like the number one this is the first toy that had women imagining they could be nurses or flight attendants or doctors or like anything not to mention you have to imagine in 1959 
a toy to have breasts and no husband and have her own apartment and be a model, which means she has her own income. It's extremely scandalous. Like, huh. it's basically a porn toy for children at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this was at a time where a woman's second biggest fear is that her daughter's going to be like overdeveloped and slutty and like too independent. Goals. Her number one fear is that she's going to be ungroomed and unmarriable because a husband was a meal ticket. So even women who are a little conservative is like, well, if I get my daughter this doll, maybe she'll become interested in styling her hair and dressing herself. Like, it was a way for women to communicate, like, hey, I want you to be comfortable in your life. And if you want that, this is the template. Like, this will get you fed. This will get you a house. Like, that was sort of the, the communication there under the surface. And so that's the number one reason I think that, that that's turned into now every adult has a Barbie memory and you want your children to have the experience you had. So now it's like a rite of passage where it's like, she's old enough for a Barbie. Let's get her a Barbie. I mean, you give your kid the tool to imagine anything happening to them. Because originally, I mean, the doll was invented when Ruth Handler would see her daughter using paper dolls to play out like adult scenarios. She was like, well, why doesn't this exist in the three-dimensional? The other reason it's so popular is because, I hate to say it, the good and bad press that comes out every five or ten years, you know, this year we're going to get obsessed with Barbie's body not being big enough. And this year we're going to, um, Barbie core is going to get big again. So it's going to go through runways for like a year. Like every few years it pops, it resurges again in fashion or there's a movie about it or an SNL skit or just, it's such a common link. I mean, the average little girl in the United States owns 11 dolls, 11 Barbies. Whoa. Yeah, an average. Wow, jealous. So the numbers, like everybody has a Barbie story. And the flip side of that is, let's say every woman has a little bit of body stuff, right? Things about their body they struggle with. If everyone owned a doll, I'm not saying it's fair, but it becomes the common thread that I think becomes a scapegoat for a lot of conversations about the culture as a whole. Hmm. I don't like my body. I don't either. Did you have a Barbie? Me too. It must like, I think that's a little too reductive. Body things and, and stuff like that is, is more than just some toy you had. It's commercials, it's movies, it's, you know, everything. So, so the why, average I mean, girl has 11 dolls. How mm-hmm. many dolls do you have? That's what I was going to ask. Um, I'm about probably like 600 little girls. No, more than that. Like probably 6,000 little girls. Which means not if, but when I... You're every woman. Wait, is it 600 or is it (laughs) 6,000? No, I probably have. I mean, if we're being honest, I probably have. We're talking the the body. Like how many plastic dolls do I have? Because then there's clothes, which is a whole other thing. Yeah, hold on. Mm, I, it's not even quantifiable. I oh wow! So they're not—they're not like insured or anything, or like—is it like you don't have it, like a filing system? Are they all in a safe? Yeah. Are they in? Are they? Is there an archive in our inventory? Or they're kind of spread out. Like at the motel in the reception, we have maybe three, two or three dozen of my my real vintage collection. So if you go in there, some of those dolls are like damn near a thousand dollars. Don't steal them. And then at my condo, where I keep at my like uh, drag studio. That's where I have like most of my vintage ones. That's where I have my, I have a number one Barbie deep in the closet buried. Um, Cause that's a very valuable piece. Mine's signed by Ruth Handler too. Um, so I, do, I have a lot and I'm always looking, I mean, I've stopped, I've started narrowing. So now I'm in the middle of getting rid of my nineties. Cause most of what I collect is like sixties mod Barbie. Um, 
So I'm getting rid of a lot of my 90s Barbie right now because I just okay. – I need to thin the herd. All collectors <laughs> do this. It's like – Was Barbie purge. a flop in the 90s? No. Barbie in the 90s I believe is honestly the golden era because um, mm. we're talking like tan orange skin, blue eyeshadow this big, white hair. And every look is like ice skates, roller skates, ice cream, glitter. It's nuts. Because for a good – like mid 2000s to 2015 it was in my opinion the the least interesting time barbie was in jeans mm. and t-shirts you know like mm. ooh normcore barbie mm. kind of like i mean there's important things they do now like career of the year barbie it will be this year she's a, a robot technician this year she's running for president and this like year, that she's year she's a podcaster <laughs> maybe she's a podcaster <laughs> One year she was like a, a music um, producer. So she had like a little keyboard and a computer and headphones. But I, of course, like the heightened version. So like when Barbie a few years ago started doing the extra dolls, it's like that's fierce when they're in like fur coats and pumps. and Because mm. Barbie used to be so aspirational and theatrical. And I feel that for a while it was getting really joggers and t-shirt. It, what, as a collector, it wasn't. Only the collector dolls were cool. But I, wa- I like a world where I can walk through Target and see dolls that I want. You know, I want those to be cool too. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, the dolls are made from plastic and plastic's made from oil. And natural oils are always going up in price. And when you have like, I'm sure Walmart or whatever is like, we'll buy this many dolls from you, Mattel, but they have to be under $10 to beat this price point. Then it makes the toy company and the, the decor, not the decorators, the designers and the toy company like, they're limited because they have to make a doll that's accessible. They can't spend all the money because then it's going to be one hundred fifty dollars. Like, I no, I'm fine with that, but <laughs> yeah, you're like I'll go, I'll spend whatever. Yeah, but um, little like Mary Sue shopping at Target in you know like Kansas City. Yeah, or like it's, have you ever been in like a CVS and they have like an eight dollar doll where she's just in a swimsuit? They still have to have an impulse purchase level doll. Yeah, for the kid yeah. who's like nagging at the store is like, can I just have one? Well, I those were the ones that also... I got to get. Like when I was a kid and like wasn't allowed to have dolls, it was like um, when I had a couple dollars and I was like didn't have supervision. That's when I was able to like buy the you know Walgreens aisle Barbie and then hide the, the it in Pavo a box one. that I kept in my closet that my parents didn't know about and would play with them in secret. Right. Oh wow! That was yeah. that's your doll origin story. Was that is my doll origin cl- story? It's like cl- covered in shame because of like you know like the you know whatever it was saying about like my gender, or like my queerness or whatever. You know, it was very shameful. I knew that I was not allowed to have them because I already did too many girly things. And you know, like I think my mom kind of looked the other way, but I knew that it was wrong. And now I look back on it and like, of course I wanted to play with dolls. Hello. Like why is yeah. it why was it so shameful? But it really was. Honestly, well, it's not a two way street either. Like if your daughter wants a Tonka truck, no one cares. But if your son yeah. wants a Barbie, it's an issue. Yes, yeah. say that. I'm so glad earlier that you brought up the kind of like the the boy girl toys at McDonald's because that was such like a moment in the culture. Like like and and the the kind of fascism required for me to get a NASCAR toy as a child. Like I didn't want that fucking NASCAR toy. Like, how dare? That was so rude. I was like, that it was it was violence, honestly. Um, there's what something am I almost, 
there was something almost more aspirational for me too about like the McDonald's Happy Meal Barbies because a lot of times the hair was plastic and sculpted. So mm. it was like, she's almost like a religious totem. She's like a little statue of the perfect woman. And I mean, as a kid, I, I really was just worshiping the dolls. I mean, mm. <laughs> before I understood, before I understood that she was sort of, at that point in the 90s, Barbie was almost doing drag. She was parodying femininity on such a high level. I mean, mm. Miss Yvonne, Barbie, Peg Bundy, there was this pocket of like women doing drag that was like, I think probably a response to women's movements like in the 90s, like shaved heads and tape over the titties. And mm. there was this beginning conversation about what we expect of women and like Mimi from Drew Carey. It's like, mm. When we show what women are supposed to be like, and we push that a little bit, we show how stupid it is to expect women to do anything or be any type of way. Mm. You know, that's something I'm always wanting to explore with Trixie, especially in the beginning was like, if my waist is this big and my titties are huge and my hair and all this is, if you look at me and see a woman, I think that's actually very illuminating that like, I read as, do I look like your mother or your sister? No. So like, it's interesting that you see woman when I look fucking crazy i'm sure you look like someone's mother or sister and i would yeah, like I to will say like when i go out to texas they're like your hair reminds me of my mom i'm like i see it <laughs> this is neil strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. 
she would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I have to say, so I, I, I actually watched your unboxing of your number one, of your number one Barbie, the original, was it 1965 Barbie? Uh, just off the bat. 1959. Thank you. Um, I have to say that the original Barbie, her mug was pretty cunty. Like she had Gosh. like, like thin brows and a side eye and she had like, you know, like thick eyeliner. Like she looked kind of mean. Her face is giving a little like. She's like, you sure? And I'll say she's she's a little severe looking for mm-hmm. a child's toy, I will say. Um, and that's part of why, you know, in 1958, when the handlers were showing Barbie, at, the toys used to be purchased this way. There would be a toy convention at, let's say, the Radisson San Diego. And all the toy store owners in the country would fly to town and they would go hotel room to hotel room and they would get pitched new toys by little toy developers. And that's how toy stores would stock shelves. They would try to predict what's going to be big or like this isn't out yet. And Barbie was a brand new thing. And you have to imagine they thought this is going to be a major hit. And they barely did numbers. I mean, everybody was mortified and grossed out by this doll when it was shown at the 1958 Toy Fair. So then the first run of Barbie, which is that number one with like the really cunty face. And she looks not even nice. She looks severe. Yeah. That run of those was under 300,000 pieces, like maybe 200, 250, because it was never – nobody thought it was going to be a hit except the people making it. And if you don't know this too, this is crazy. Mattel was one of the first companies to realize you don't have to sell to the child. You have to sell to the parent because that's ultimately who buys the product. Mm. So Mattel was the first company basically – one of the first companies to put commercials for toys during the children's cartoon hours. Mm. Like nobody had thought to do that. Like if you sell it to the child, the child will sell it to the parent. Basically mm. that's how you get a toy sold. And so that's part of those commercials is like popping up during ch- cartoon breaks is what made it go from like a toy at a convention that no one cared about to like basically Furby in the nineties, like clamoring. <laughs> To a sensation. Yeah. And I mean, only a few toys have broken through like that. If you think of like Easy Bake Oven or there's only a few toys that have had a 
complete whirlwind in Slinkies. time. I mean, Mattel, Mattel in the first three years went from nobody to the, I think the, the number one toy company in the world in like three years. But she was initially a flop, which is kind of great. A total flop, I, like less than a flop. People being like, "You're joking, right?" Like this doll has nipples. This is disgusting. <laughs> this is does, this is does, disgusting. Do you sicko? Have Maybe the OG. Yeah, Do the OG I mean, the original have ones had at least like I, th- I think the original prototype had nipples, and they removed them before they went to shelf. Oh, oh. I imagine they were hard nipples and not sort of like a rubbery soft. They were like areola. deep brown and like this big around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, like dinner plates. Yeah, dinner plates. Put nipples but, yeah. back on Barbies. I'll say it. If you watch the documentary Tiny Shoulders on Hulu, it opens with like a reenactment of the, I think it was Ryan who owns the um, patent on Barbie, or he did own the patent on Barbie. He basically picked up the doll, took a nail file and shaved off the nipples and was like, now it's perfect. And that's kind of like the lore of how they did it. <laughs> no. Wow. Which they still yeah, are. You know People what? are still hung up on nipples. So. Oh, Yeah. If I, mean, I don't get my nipples sanded off this weekend, I did not have a good time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now there, we have all the girls just sanding off their nipples. It's the culture. Um, there, I want to know uh, what it, which of the Barbies do you know within your knowledge that were like controversial or like recalled or like created hubbub? I know like one of the things that I was thinking of was like kind of i want to say like in the aughts there was a pregnant barbie that was recalled because she didn't have a wedding ring that was like a huge Mm -hmm. thing and it was like you can't get pregnant out of out of wedlock or whatever and they were all recalled um are there any other like controversial barbie stories like that there's a lot and i want to say i don't work for mattel but i will defend (laughs) them until the day i die uh this is a doll that's been out for 70 years. So if you're going to judge the dolls of 60 years ago by the standards of today, you're always no. gonna be disappointed. Okay. Like, but you know, when they did slumber party, there was a slumber party Barbie that came with a scale and a diet book and the inside or the back of it said, don't eat. That hasn't aged well. I don't think it was an issue at the time, but it was, you know, as not aged no, at well. the time they were like, Oh my God, thanks for reminding me not to eat. <laughs> totally. Well, I wear a lot of vintage clothes. And I mean, when I shop vintage, I'm like, were women 70 pounds? And I'm like, I think they were. Like, yeah. clothes are this big. Non-stretch fabrics. Waste this it's big. like when you go to like a, a medieval museum and all the, the doors are like this tall. And you're like, oh, totally. people were extremely short. They were. Um, and then, you know, there's there's so many. I mean, there was a doll called Teen Talk Barbie where if you pushed a button on her back, she said phrases. It was in the 80s or the early 90s. One of the phrases she said was math is hard. And that was controversial for a female <laughs> toy to be – like, women can't do math. But, like, um, she kind of there spilled. Was, yes, math, math is, is really math hard. hard. Famously hard. That's what I'm saying. I'm, like, the apologist, so don't ever expect me to get mad because I'm, like um, – You know, there's things that are a little more transparently, like, an oversight. Like, there was an Oreo Barbie that – there, w- there was an Oreo Barbie. She came as black or white. And like a black Barbie called Oreo Barbie. I would, you know. No. Exactly, not great. I'm um, sure they didn't love that that happened. Um, and then Ear- Earring Magic Ken, they said he was gay. It depends if you want to say that's controversy or not. Um, he but. was. I So I own an Earring Magic Ken. And he he was. I actually have it on my desk. I, I was. He looks. I, I mean, I don't think is. he's gay. I think he's a response to Vanilla Ice, who was so big at the time. Well, so, well, I, okay. So the story that I read online and I don't know if this is like, I I only read like, you know, one article about it, but like 
that they they were trying to like you know rebrand Ken. They didn't know if they should sell Ken dolls anymore, if they should find a new doll that wasn't named Ken or whatever. And they surveyed teen girls about what they wanted in a Ken doll. And then and teen girls and like you know young girls were like, "This is what we want," and they like you know gave a bunch they of said recommendations. They a gay guy. Yes, they gave <laughs> a bunch of recommendations on the styling. And so for the virgins who can't see, this is a this is a um you know what what do we got like platinum highlight kind of blowout. We got a notch. Mm-hmm. Is that a notch in his eyebrow? No. Um, earrings. But also, the, like, but also, this is exactly how Vanilla is dressed. Exactly. <laughs> Top and bottom he's got veneers. got a tattoo on his inner lip that says, come pig. <laughs> um, he's holding a bottle of Rush. <laughs> this is, But this is like a blue pleather vest, a, 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 a lavender mesher, and a literal cock ring around his neck. Like, what is going on? Like, this I'm is what girls wanted. I'm not surprised that teen girls voted for this because, like, I mean, Trixie, I kn- I'm sure you know this better than anyone, that, like, the main... <laughs> market for drag and like lots of queer culture is teenage girls <laughs> teenage oh girls. Gay, gay men don't even like me i'm the, <laughs> the audience is 13 year old cis girls 100 cisgender women period I'm the I'm the <laughs> um that's what's interesting with all this co- like discourse about drag being appropriate for kids i'm somebody who accidentally has the maybe the youngest audience but i have never said i liked kids or pulled punches when it comes to saying disgusting and horrible things. So you actively talk about you how you don't like children. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, when I get on stage, I talk about like rimming my dad. So I, I've never, I've. It's not a bait and switch where I've pretended to be kid friendly. No, I've always said I'm not kid friendly. But then they come to the show. So what am I supposed to do? You know. I'm not going to kick them out because when I was 13, I felt like an adult and I wanted to watch adult shit. So whatever. Yeah. Um, and, there's they also dis- few- and they have disposable money for merch. Exactly. Hello. You know how hard it is to get gay guys to do anything? Well, what if something better comes along? Like, okay, fine. Don't come. You know? <laughs> but I mean, ask any working drag queen if they make more money at a brunch with a bunch of gay guys or a bunch of bachelorettes. Ask them who, who they make more money with and they'll tell you the truth. <laughs> you know? Oh, I recently that. DJed. Like, I recently picked up a little DJ gig in Australia, and sometimes I like to pick up DJ gigs under the radar and not tell anyone I'm going, because I just want to play for fun and not, like, have to be tricksy in a way, you know? Mm. And I picked up a DJ gig at the Steamworks in Perth, (gasps) and I just went out of drag, DJed at Steamworks Perth, and a few people recognized me and said hi, but all in all, it was, like, so refreshing to be ignored by gay guys again in drag (laughs) like because that was my experience for the first like 10 years in drag was just like gay guys barely paying attention to me and now it's mostly not gay guys and they're very much paying attention to me which i love of course but it was like it was a reality check to just play for gay guys ignoring me again i was like wow this makes me appreciate the audience i have because these guys at steamworks could don't care if i'm dead or alive and what songs i play do not matter so I've never been... No, as long as there's a rhythm for them to, you know... Oh, and I was playing all my nasty music that really wouldn't fly at, like, a dance club. But I was playing, like, you know, gross, like, spoken wordy, nasty. <laughs> nasty. Um, Wait, I have never been to a Steamworks branch. I, do they regularly... I didn't know they have DJ sets at Steamworks. That's a thing. I've never been to Steamworks? one either until this one. And it was, it was like, it's like a, it's a steam, it's a sauna. What is a steamworks for the virgins? It's just like a, it's, 
I mean, I'm not the expert. It, this was my first time at one. It seemed like a bathhouse, basically. It's little yeah. private rooms with a spa and a steam shower and a gym. And it had a little, the one in Perth had a little mini nightclub, basically. It had a room with a bar and a little dance floor and a DJ booth. And it was a nice DJ booth. It was, it was like four CDJs, like really nice, brand new equipment. I was like, I was like, this is really nice. And I was like, I've played at other bars in Perth. And they don't have as nice of equipment as the DJ equipment at Steamworks. So I was like, all right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're getting Skrillex in ne- next week. I know. But it was just, it's, it's, if you ever like are out and you think it's me behind, if you see like a ball guy DJing, it probably is me. And I just didn't advertise it because I just wanted to just be invisible. But I love that. I mean, you, you, a legend kind of like uh, doing a, a uh, incognito set at Steamworks is kind of reminding me of like when Bette Midler used to do when she was like the kind of singer for ba- gay bathhouses in New York and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like the only one there with clothes on. Yeah. I was like, I had, I had a t shirt on and I was like vastly overdressed. Like, everyone else was <laughs> naked. People were on the dance floor naked, just naked dancing. And I was like, all right, work. That's so fun. But I also was like, I cannot swing take it around. Any of you. I can't take pictures with any of you because right now in the States, they literally Google drag queens and pull a picture and it's usually mine and they put it on the news and call me a pedophile. So like, I can't take any pictures here. Like, right. then again, at a, at a bar, at a place like that, pictures are prohibited anyway, I think. So. Right. Rose, have you ever been to a Steamworks? Um, not a Steamworks, but I've been to many bathhouses. Many. She's uh, like, any bathhouses boil water in the kitchen and get naked. I'm just, I'm, I'm just imagine. <laughs> I'm just imagining, um. Just like on a dance floor naked, that I feel like logistically that could be dangerous. Well, I mean, to be fair, when I've been at a bathhouse, I certainly haven't been on the dance floor. I've been doing the other things that you do at a bathhouse. Right. Other things that you do you know? at a bathhouse. Like, I, a shower. I, I, I like the idea that somebody has like a Steamworks membership and uses it like it's the fucking why. They go there <laughs> to actually use a treadmill and shower and leave. Mm-hmm. And they're just that. sort of like, they're like, they're like on the elliptical and there's like someone getting railed in the background and they're just like listening to like our podcast while they work out. <laughs> yeah. They're listening to like NPR. Yeah. Fresh <laughs> like, air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of my, my gym in Brooklyn my, and on a gym that I will not name. Like I joined when it like, in an in an earlier stage when it's it's not as crowded as it it wasn't as crowded as it is now and like I signed up and I was like oh this is a family gym for like local Brooklyn people and like you know their dads or whatever and and you know I've been there I've been there for a while now and like after like a month or two I was like oh everyone here is fucking like everyone here is looking and fucking and this is a gay gym and I think what you're describing is kind of my gym because like the the actual like cis hat like Brooklyn dads are just like like you know in the steam room like don't mind me I'm just getting my steam in I know you guys got to do your business but like I'm just a dad or whatever it's um I love the it, it's really is a coexist moment um, well that was the other thing I was DJing somewhere where to be honest most people there were trying to keep a low profile and most like straight guys and stuff they don't know who I am and if they figure it out they're not going to tell anyone anyway so right exactly secret safe with me. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tracy, I do really want to know, um, because, you know, we are, as we've said, like, we're kind of in the year of Barbie right now. We're like one of the years of Barbie because Greta Gerwig's Barbie film is coming out this summer. Um, What are you, like, are you excited? What do you want from it? Like, do you, are, do you have any suspicions now that we've got a couple trailers out about what it could be about? Like, what's, what's I haven't even watched the trailer because it feels, like, I don't know. I want to like go in blind, and mm. I also you have to understand. Anytime anything Barbie adjacent ever happens, my phone blows up, and so yeah. I also am like already early, like inundated about it. Like Fatigued. I've been hearing about this movie constantly for over a year, 
So it was like by the time the trailer's out and everything's reacting to it, I also, this is so crazy and this is my own damage. I also feel like, great, now everyone's a bandwagoner. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. as somebody who can name the year and the name of every outfit in that trailer, I'm sure, I'm like, oh, did you like it? Did you like that movie? You're going to be sitting like, in I'm the theater s- like, you are all a bunch of fakes. Get out of here. Yeah. But I also, I love The Sims, for example, and I hate when people who love The Sims do nothing but shit on The Sims. The same way I hate when people like, I love Drag Race, but there's too much of it. There's too much. Like, I hate people complaining about the wealth of something they like. Like, as if it's the Hunger Games and President Snow forces people to watch Drag Race. Like, when people complain about too many Drag Race, I'm like, don't watch it, Mary. Who fucking cares? I'm definitely forced to watch Drag Race. It's definitely a state-sanctioned, like, three to four hours of Drag (laughs) drag Race. Yeah, in New York, if you don't watch Drag Race, every franchise, AOC gives you a parking ticket. Yeah, no, actually, you get get tax breaks for watching Drag Race. It it comes with it. (laughs) But I actually, I have a very open mind, and I'm sure I'm going to go see it when it comes out. Um, But I, I have no expectations, and I go into things wanting to like them. So I'm not a hater... I'm sure that Barbie people... I can't imagine. (laughs) Nobody's going to hate this movie except the most hardcore, annoying Barbie fans Mm. where they're like, nothing was ever going to be good enough for them. Mm. I'm going to love it no matter what. I, yeah, I want. I I was gonna ask you about the trailer. I would love to know your take on it. There's something that happens. I won't spoil it, but there's something that happens in like the first five seconds of the trailer that is so gratifying, and it's like it's like. Uh, it's just like an aha moment where you're like, oh, this is the movie I'm going to get. But I will say, you know, you were talking earlier about like Barbie of the 90s, the blown out hair, like the golden era of, of Barbie. That definitely does feel like the Barbie they are channeling. Obviously, they're tapping into a lot of different eras of Barbies and making specific references to Barbies throughout the years. But you can tell it's like a 90s movie. And I do feel like Ryan Gosling's Ken is very earring magic Ken. Like, I think it it feels like a reference. You so know? Yeah, and I mean, gay. yeah, yeah, he he looks gay. I think that's intentional. It's also a business, and I think it says a lot about '90s Barbie that when you draw a car, if you drew a cartoon of Barbie quick, you would draw '90s Barbie. You wouldn't yeah. draw 2000s Barbie with the you elbows. Draw, yeah, you would draw this girl. Yeah. So not- I think it has something to do with when I dub '90s Barbie like the Golden Age of Barbie. I'm not being like. It's my preference, and so it's true. I think it. I think they actually etched her in permanently because the other mm. Barbie you think of would maybe be the swimsuit Barbie from the fifties. Like mm. that's the other Barbie you think of. But when I think of Barbie, I mean, I think of like I don't know, like roller skates, cassette player, mm-hmm. like gymnastics, nineties shit. That's the mm-hmm. Barbie that I think of. I but like I said, I have no expectations, and I think it's like um, I'm just excited. I mean. I, I really, to my core, to my bones, love and respect Barbie and anything, any little nibble, any little, I'm, I'm happy for it. I love it. But are you furious that Margot Robbie was cast instead of you? <laughs> um, I do think it's funny to, it's interesting to think that, wasn't it originally Amy Schumer? I think that that was, I think that that was in the works. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think it was originally, when I first heard about the movie, I heard that Amy Schumer was playing Barbie like four years ago. And then I'm, I mean, I love, I love Margot Robbie. I'm sorry. Like (laughs) Suicide Squad, she gives, okay. She's amazing in the Suicide Squad movies. And I, Tanya, 
Girl, girl, girl. Once upon a time, Hollywood girl. But you know, I'm just gonna say this too. I don't like good movies. This year, I watched like like Tar, The Whale, Triangle of Sadness. Like that is not for me. That mm. type of movie, I watch it like stank face. Like this sucks. <laughs> and then like, but but I'm like, let's rewatch the original Super Mario's movie. Like th- that's my level of movie that I love. And so I know I'm gonna like this. Was like super- me? You're like me. I prefer I draw this division i like movies not films and Mm, i think there's a very clear difference between the two i like the populist entertainment and i definitely think i do think because of who's involved barbie is going to straddle the two like it's going to be because of the barbie of it all it's going to be accessible but i also think because it's greta gerwig that there's going to be something intelligent there by the way, the way that I thought Greta, Thur- Greta Gerwig was Greta Thunberg, and I was like... Oh, is it not? I just was like... I that, shouldn't be that, up here. That climate girl? I was like, what? Yeah, it, like, yeah she's the But I'm not like now. a smart film person. Like, David is like the you don't rain have a in the <laughs> No, I just watch what I watch. I rewatch The Office over and over again. Um, Margot Robbie is really good at being unhinged, and I you can tell that this is going to be a slightly unhinged Barbie, like without, you know, leaning too into it. Like they're definitely making it a weird movie. And uh, we had Hari Neff on the pod and she talked a little bit about it. And like, I don't think I realized like how fucking stacked this cast is like Dua Lipa in this movie. Like so many people where I was like, Oh, you're in this movie. Like, um, and so now it's like Sarah. Yes. But it's also, it's also like the ocean's, 11 yes where it's like it's the knives out of it all where you're like we need to get 75 a-list actors now yeah the only way you can have a hit these days it needs to be all unknowns or all like literally barack obama has to be in it it's like all stars all winners the movie (laughs) yes totally (laughs) but you know honestly and this is a bit of a throwback the best barbie we've ever seen in film hands down and TV, because, you know, we've seen Barbie parodied on SNL, although I love those SNL skits where they have, like, the Barbie uh, Instagram account. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those skits are amazing. The best Barbie we've ever seen in cinema or media or whatever is Barbie from Toy Story 2 when they go through the toy aisle and there's tour guide Barbie. I mean, that whole scene. But, you know, because we get Barbie in the form of Gwendy in Small Soldiers. We get Barbie, like, we get a Barbie without saying Barbie in a lot of types of media. Mm. And in Toy Story, we actually got branded Barbie, which made it so fun. And they wrote her so funny. Yeah. That was, like, formative. Like, that whole scene as a kid watching where they, like, go down the, the Barbie aisle, I was like, um, wow. There's, like, these moments where, like, my creativity or, like, my vision j- jumps leaps. That was one of them. I would say one of the other ones was the Jeremy Scott, like, Think Pink Barbie collection. When I saw that runway, my mind, like, I think my head exploded. I think my fontanelles gave out and my brain shot out of the back of my head. Because <laughs> I just had never, I mean, I guess I love Heatherette and it reminded me of Heatherette. But oh, I had never, love, love. I mean, early Heatherette is very, very Barbie core. It's kind What's of Heatherette? OG Barbie core. Heatherette is um, uh, a fashion brand that used to exist and i went to one of their shows like when i first moved to new york and it was like a a gag 
I yeah, I I I have no idea. I've never heard of them. But I I'm curious, um, just as a collector, like something that I was really shook by when I was like, you know, when I watched your unboxing video was that you you actually unbox these Barbies. Do you like take all of your dolls like out of boxes and like unfasten them? Or like, I thought it was like a collector's thing to like not unbox toys. That's like a very like, I don't know anything about collector worlds. Like what, how do you decide well, like whether to unpackage or unpackage, like what to undo and not undo what you preserve? Well, 1959 Barbie, it's not like she came shrink wrapped. Yeah. Like to- toys, toys back then were just, you could just open the lid of it, you know, right. like it's in the box. It's just a box. Um, some of my toys, like I have a Francie, I have a mod black Francie and, you know, black dolls when they started making them were always harder to come by and they were made in a lot smaller numbers. Mm. So a lot of times the black doll is worth more. So I have like a black Francie and she's wrapped in plastic. Like some of them, if they come in the store plastic, some of them have, I have really old cool ones that have like the price tag from the store on it, on the plastic, in the box. Mm. My 1959, like it was clear it had been opened and handled before. So it wasn't like the stakes were me peeling back plastic, you know? But if I like something now, I'll just get two so that I have one in the closet and one I can fuck around with. Oh, that's smart. I've been thinking about this Um, recently because I'm sort of like in my collectible era. I'm like going back and finding toys from when I was a kid that I didn't get to have and buying them now. Um, And I did recently, and I know you'll appreciate this, Trixie, because I know that you like Buffy. Um, I bought a Willow action figure recently, and it's of her, it's Vampire Willow. And I have it it in the box. I haven't taken it out. And I do want to play with it. But there's a part of me that's like wants it to stay pristine in the box. And um, I, I mean, I have told this story on the pod before, but when I used to get toys as gifts when I was a kid, I would tape them back up into the box to like preserve that. It was like really psycho behavior. <laughs> no, I think, I honestly think that the packaging to me is part of the collectible. It's not a shell. I think it's part of it. I think, I think it being packaged is part of, and the way it's packaged is also part of the time capsule of it. This is how things were packaged at this time. And with Barbie especially, Every aspect of it is a time capsule. This is what women wore. Oh, Barbie was a flight attendant. That's because at this time, women, that was one of the first jobs that women were doing. Like every part of it is a time capsule. And so the packaging is part of that. The fonts, the colors, the wording. So most of the time I don't want to open it. But because I collect mostly like 62 to let's say like 71, because I collect that era, a lot of what I have is not boxed. And if I have it boxed, it's worth way more and I have to like care for it like in a safety deposit box. <laughs> like I have my number, I have my number one on display here, but it's not my number one. It's a reproduction of a number one because I want people to ask about it and I want to say, yes, I really have it, but this isn't it because I don't trust you in my home. It's a conversation <laughs> you know? piece. Um, yeah. When you die, do you want to be put into a sort of life-size Barbie box and wrapped in plastic? Um, I, no, we could, we could make that, that happen, but that's kind of giving Dorian Corey, don't you think? Like <laughs> wrapping a body in plastic, yeah, you know, um, maybe glass, yeah, maybe I will. Oh my god, this is horrible, but uh, maybe I don't know how I want to die. I probably want a pink coffin though, for sure. 
or a pink urn. Like I want pink means a lot to me. Mm. And it's my, you know, it's sort of my, my trauma bond with that color is so extreme. And like, it means so much to me that, you know, everything being pink makes me, I mean, just the color pink makes me happy. I mean, that's like corny. And most people, when they're like the pink lady of Hollywood or whatever, it's like a sign of like, Ooh, that person's wild when they're like, I'm all pink every day, but it, I love pink. And so I don't know. But then again, one time I saw, I think it was like the show obsessed or where this woman, have you guys ever seen that episode of that woman, her husband died and she would lick her finger and fun dip his ashes. And she was addicted to eating his ashes. So if David doesn't do that. If David doesn't do that for me, he doesn't love me. (laughs) And they were like, well, what happens when you run out of the ashes? And she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, Fran, I'm going to do that to you when I kill you. Oh, yeah? Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. But I'll also snort your ashes. Oh, yeah? I mean, you'll get a... I don't even know how that would make you feel. Probably yeah, sad. We'll be, we'll be in the pines on Fire Island, and I'll be like, this one's for Fran. Actually, this one is Fran. <laughs> am, I, am I an upper or a downer? What do you think? I think you... Hallucinogenic? You start, you start as an upper, and then we go down. Okay, love. Yeah, that's a, that's a good... That's a good little arc. Um... I, wow. I mean, maybe I'll be in my doll collecting era too now, Rose, now that you're doing You should. I mean, if I could, if you guys are really, anybody who's listening wants to really nerd out, there's this book called Forever Barbie by M.G. Lords. And it's basically her like deep dive into the cultural, societal, whatever significances of Barbie. And she really elegantly illustrates the extreme butterfly effect that that toy had on the world. Because in some ways, Barbie influences the world. But in many ways, Barbie is just reflecting what's going on. Mm. So like in the 60s when like – or like in the early 70s when like Brady Bunch happened, suddenly Malibu Barbie happened and she happened to look a lot like Jan – or Marsha Brady. Mm. And then like, you know, there's just – there's ways where you can track when Barbie is mirroring what's popular in the world. And then because Barbie's around so long, you can track ways that Barbie itself – because in 1959, what was Barbie style? Barbie style was reflecting the fashion of teenagers of the time. Mm. And now Barbie style is its own style. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, as we've noted, that's like why, you know, the Barbies of the, of the aughts were wearing North faces and Uggs um, as, as they should be. Um, Tom's yeah. shoes, you know. <laughs> oh, um, not Tom's shoes. <laughs> yeah. Next, like I bet you next year, Barbies are going to have those dumb puffy red boots that are going to be big now. Yeah, I guess the thing that maybe the thing to end on is like I'm thinking about um like what's the what's the Barbie of the 2020s like like what is cool I know that you know she has her own style obviously but like hypothetically like I don't even know what 2020s culture is. it's kind of like 2023 bimbo. Barbie okay here's what here's yeah, what she is. what is it what she's is it? wearing she's wearing a pair of Margiela tabbies uh. um she's got a bottle of estradiol <laughs> and, she, and she's got. She's got a microphone set to do her podcast. Oh, yeah. And, but she DJs on the weekends for sure. Yeah. Totally. And by DJing, I mean, she just has a MacBook and she literally is on Spotify. Yeah, um, she's, yeah she's on Spotify. Yes. Um, yeah. I, and I think, I think the can of the 2023s, it's like, um, you know, Trimix. It's Ozempic. It's, mm. it's, <laughs> it's injectable tanner. It's a, it's a unit. It's a male unit. Yes. Um, yeah. He's going to Turkey a for the hairline. That's your size too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, if we're ending all jokes aside, like when you really sit and think of like the massive impact, we always talk about the impact Barbie has, but when you really think about the massive positive impact, 
I mean, this toy opened up a possibility for women to imagine their life to be anything at a time where they were only encouraged to imagine to be moms. I mean, it really is incredible. And I, I'm excited for the movie. To be honest, the doll of 2023 is going to probably be whatever most popular look from the movie. That's what's Because you know that Mattel's going to make outfits of all of those for sale. Yes. Damn. Like, yeah, I feel like now people for the next like year and or two, like, just as you said, Barbie core is going to be back again and we're all going to be dressing like Barbies and, you know, bimbo core has been back for a while, you know? I think of like faggots with white walls and gold fixtures and plants in their houses. Uh-huh. Like yeah. that is so like needs to be retired. That like yeah. geriatric millennial approach to like living is so tired. Wealth whispers. <laughs> yes. It's so tired. And so I think Barbie core is a reflection of, I mean, we experienced this at the Trixie Motel maximalism is swinging back so hard mm. and what's more like fabricated and fun and bouncy and synthetic feeling than like Barbie core. I mean, and what's funny is it's going to surge and it's going to go away, but not for that long. I mean, Barbie, Barbie core. Now it's going to be all these cool articles about it, but it's always around. It's you always know? around. Really is. Yeah. All pink is the same as, you know, all black. Some people wear all black. Some people wear all pink. That's mm-hmm. the binary. Those are the two genders. Slide into our DMs and let us know, are you a Barbie girl? Are you just Ken? Um, Did you play with dolls when you were a kid? Are you a doll now? We want to know. Um, You can also buy our merch at likeavirgin42069.com and become a patron at patreon.com slash likeavirgin for weekly bonus episodes. You can follow us at likeavirgin42069 on Instagram, and you can follow me anywhere you want at rosedomu. And you can follow me at Franz Squishko anywhere you like. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman and Nikki Etor. Until next week, au revoir. Bye. Goodbye. Farewell. And here's a clip from this week's Patreon episode. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash likeavirgin. The book that we're talking about today is one that I mentioned on the main show earlier this year, Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, uh, which I finished a month ago now at this point, just because of various scheduling things. It's It took a long time for me to read it and then took a while for us to actually record this episode. So thank you, virgins, who actually did read the book and have been anxiously awaiting um, us talking about it. Mm. But we are going to be talking about it today. And we'll also be talking about the two films um, that were, uh, that, um, were adapted from it. Uh, the... BBC miniseries, also called Fingersmith, and then the film The Handmaiden. And these are, so I, just for the virgins, have never read the book. I have never seen the miniseries. But The Handmaiden, its adaptation, which is very different from the book, we'll get into it, is extremely different, is one of my favorite queer films ever. Like, I think it's like such a good point of reference for anybody that considers themselves a cinephile in the queer space. It's like, to me, required viewing if you want to brush up on, like, queer cinema in general. Because, like, Park Chan-wook is, I mean, such a phenomenal director. But beyond that, it's just, like, you don't see WLW romances like this 
ever. Like, not even in a carol. But you do see WLW sex scenes like this in porn, which I think is part of the problem. Well, and we'll get we'll get to my thoughts on The Handmaiden. I first would like to talk about the book to give you some context for when we get yes, please to that conversation. Yes, please. So, Fingersmith is a 2002 novel written by Sarah Waters, who is a renowned. British lesbian author. She primarily writes historical fiction, and most of her most celebrated work has um, lesbian themes, lesbian characters. Her novel, Tipping the Velvet, which is her first book, is my favorite book of all time. Oh. Um, Fingersmith. Really? Of all time? Like, in all time, meaning like... um, Of all time. Meaning, uh, but it is among, like, a top ten books of all time, I assume. It's not, like, the number one. No, it is the number one. It's my favorite book. My jaw is. Dry. I've said this on the podcast before. Okay, no, no, no. I, I, I'm not doubting you. I, I'm just lear- I'm just always learning and relearning your, your favorites and your tops, which I love. Well, I mean, is it that surprising? Because as we've talked about no, on this not podcast, surprising. I, I love historical fiction yes. and specifically queer historical. And this fiction. is really well written queer historical fiction. Yes. Which is usually and not the case. Like usually, it's like you know a a, a bod- no, like bodice ripper, like airport book, a codpiece ripper, codpiece the, ripper, the, airport bo- airport book. Yeah, yeah. The the term that we coined. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I loved tipping the velvet. Um. And tipping the velvet is very much about queerness, but it's much more. And, and it's about identity, but it has m- much more to do with gender because Tipping the Velvet um, is all about cross-dressing. Um, it's about these um, performers, these female performers who dress up as men and um, this woman who, like, become – this woman who becomes a, a rent boy oh. when she's, like, cast out by her lover. Ooh. She starts dressing up as a man and engaging with sex work Ooh. and um, then, you know, becomes sort of, like, an in-house concubine of this rich lesbian who has this circle of other rich lesbians. So I loved Sarah Waters, um, and I had probably seen like an article or something talking about fingersmith earlier this year so i bought it and it was very hard getting into because the beginning is very slow and i sort of like waffled on about it for a while and then like one day i finally just like sat down and really powered through the beginning and once it picked up a certain amount of steam i just could not put it down and um so the novel um is set in the victorian era in england um the there are two protagonists but the the one whose story we follow from the beginning is an orphan named sue who is part of a family of thieves and criminals and she has been raised by this woman mrs suxby and their family are all these like pickpockets and they're called fingersmiths that's where the the title of the novel comes from and on a you know dark and stormy night this family friend called gentleman comes to their house and says that he has a job for sue he has been posing as an aristocratic man in this countryside estate helping this man who has a large book collection and he has discovered that this man has a niece who has like a huge 
um, dowry to her name, and he wants to cheat her out of it. So right. his plan is that Sue, he will recommend Sue as um, this woman, her name's Maud, as her new mate, lady's maid, and Sue will help him woo her and marry her so that he right. can get access to her so that he can get access to her fortune and then this is coming back to me she now. will and then she will help him prove that Maud is mad and have her dumped in a madhouse so that he can you know run amok with her money and Sue will get a portion of the funds and that will be her payment for you know running this con with him right Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 